Hello and welcome to the Matthias J. Barker podcast. My name is Matthias. I'm a psychotherapist here in Spokane, Washington. And this is a podcast about mental health and what makes life meaningful. And today I'm actually on TikTok Live right now. And I'm answering just a couple questions before we get started with today's episode. All right, let's see what we got here. How do you deal with manipulative parents? That's a great question. I would say that you really want to spend some time thinking about the boundaries that you have in place with your parents and and boundaries. You could think of boundaries as um, the things that you're consenting to and then the secret contracts that are at play within your relationship. Meaning maybe your parents have an expectation that you come over for dinner and they uh, enforce that expectation with like a guilt trip around it, all the things that they've done to um, help you along the way as a kid and to all the sacrifices that they've made for you. And so you owe it to them as a kid to spend weekly time with them. And that's something that I would call like a secret contract. That's that's um, a contract that someone is holding on you or a parent is holding on you because of sacrifices they made for you as a kid. But the problem with that is that you couldn't consent to those contracts. And the problem with that whole methodology, that whole strategy of parents maybe manipulating their children into compliance with whatever expectations they have using the sacrifices that they had for them as a kid is uh, the child couldn't consent to the terms. They didn't know that, you know, your parents cleaning your diapers and changing your clothes as a kid after you puked meant that you had to go to weekly dinners. And so because of that, um, it's not reasonable to hold that over somebody to force compliance of an expectation. Um, the love that a parent gives a child is a free gift. And so if someone's trying to hold that over you in order to manipulate you into something that's, that's inappropriate and, um, it's appropriate then to put up a boundary and to refuse that or to have a conversation about how that expectation is affecting you. That's another way to think through that. All right, here's a question. How did your academic training get you to this speciality? So referring to the speciality of working in relational frame theory and acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, Yeah, my supervisor uh, is an ACT trainer. So he is well plugged into the world of ACT and functional contextualism and that whole like school of thought within psychology. And so it was fortunate to get to have direct supervision from someone so competent and someone trained in that modality. So that was the way that we uh, case conceptualized the clients when I was at Lutheran Community Services. Um, His name is Sean Wright. He's incredible. Um, Really enjoyed his training. And so I think that was a huge impact on how I, uh, my theoretical orientation and and then the training that I pursued even after he was my supervisor, it impacted that a lot. So someone asked, how do you have such a passion for what you do? And that's pretty easy. I, I think it's meaningful to get to help people navigating through suffering and how to help people move towards what's meaningful in the midst of it. Uh, to not, I don't know, just to, to walk with people through evaluating the ways which life has uniquely presented itself as challenging and then to get to learn from that as well. So it's it's not just maybe the altruistic meaning of getting to help people, but it's, it's also the joy of getting to learn and be a student um, of other people's journeys through pain and suffering. And then that enriches me as well. So it's reciprocally meaningful, I think, in that sense. All right. Well, those are the questions from TikTok. Thank you so much. Thanks for asking questions. Um, let's get to today's episode. I've been reflecting a lot about uh, childhood dreams this week, and 
the, their correlation to present-day motivations. And so I wanted to kind of reflect with you a little bit about uh, the connection between those two. And specifically, like, there's a line of thought that I find that pretty commonly I use in therapy sessions with people and has been really just pers personally enriching for myself. Um, and I thought I'd kind of walk you through what that's like, and maybe that's helpful for you too. Um, you know, it's common that when people are having career trouble, like they don't, they don't like their job, they don't like what they're, where they're working, that they don't know what they'd rather be doing. And so you'll ask them like, okay, you don't like your job now. What, what, what if you could just pick, what would you be doing right now? And they're like, I have no idea. And so, you know, I'll ask them a question like, I don't know, what did you want to be as a kid? And let's say it's a, you know, it's a guy in assistance who wanted to be in a, an NBA player. And, you know, but then he immediately explains, you know, I was never any good at basketball and honestly, I'm not tall enough. And of course, and there was no chance of me even, you know, making varsity team in high school, much less playing in the NBA. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, it's hard to hold a childhood dream in mind, isn't it? Without immediately running to the reasons why it's silly or the reasons it's unreasonable or running to self-criticism. And he might look at me a little strange and be like, uh, well, but it's true. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, but I wonder what it would look like to set the criticisms on the shelf for a minute and just really reflect on that childhood dream. I go, okay. And I'm like, well, why did you want to be an NBA player? And he's like, well, it, it was just so exciting. Like I grew up watching maybe like Michael Jordan and and uh, the Bulls, and I grew up watching or LeBron James, and and I just saw these just these incredible guys with these like the, the way they could slam dunk and just fly through the air, the way that they, you know, um, the the passes and the steals, and it just did the, the whole like rhythm of the game, the charisma and the stadium. It was just so exciting, and then be able to talk about that, and then they'll say, yeah, but you know, I just knew that was never going to be me. I just knew that I didn't have the. And I'll pause and be like, whoa, whoa there's that self criticism again. Yeah. Hard to reflect on how exciting that childhood dream is without that self-criticism coming in. I wonder if we could just put that on the shelf for a moment. Not that it's not important, just I wonder if we could just hold for a moment that dream in it for its own right. And then they'll be like, okay. And I'll be like, tell me more about why basketball was important to you as a kid. And then he might say, well, it was the thing me and my dad always did. Um... I felt like my dad wasn't very, you know, excited about hanging out with me or spending time with me. But, but when we'd watch basketball together, he'd always get really excited to watch that, you know, and we'd go to games or we'd go and do all this stuff. And I felt like we really connected on that. And, and, I'll be like, and then I might ask, yeah, you felt like that was the place that you and your dad connected. Did you ever play basketball in school? I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't good. How'd your dad respond to that? Ah, uh, he wasn't mean. He wasn't, you know, but I could tell maybe he was a little sad, and, and especially when I stopped playing, um, he was disappointed. And I asked, you know, how how do you feel like you guys connect now? And then he might say like, God, oh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like we really we watch games together still, but it it's not the same. And and so then I might ask a question like. In your current job, do you feel like your boss, like your coworkers, feel like you're a super valued part of that team? And that your presence really matters and that you're 
performing in a way that's actually excelling the entire environment as a whole that do you feel like they're proud of you? Do you feel like you're valued there? You're like, no. I wonder if a part of you is looking for that acceptance and that enthusiasm, that desire that you didn't feel from your dad in your place of work. And I wonder um, what it would look like to look at that more deeply. Sometimes it's a really important insight for people to see the connection between the wounds of the past and the struggles of the present. You know, just personally, if I'm being honest, like this has been a huge part of my growth is like understanding um, wounds of my past. Like, for example, I it's, it's crystal clear in my head. There was this time in fourth grade where uh, I had a group of friends, like four guys that we all hung out and we all like... We're on the playground together and sat at the lunch table together and, you know, cracking jokes and having fun. And I remember his name was Ian. He came up to me um, just during a break at class once and, and all the guys were going into the bathroom and I was following him. It was like, hey, hey, we kind of just want some alone time. And I was like, what? Alone time? And he's like, yeah. Like, you know, Matthias, it's, it's cool that you hang out with us, but you're not, you're not one of us. I was like, what? <laughs> like... Not one of you. Yeah, like you can hang out like, like with us at lunch, but there's sometimes like we just want to hang out with the guys, you know, like, but it's, it's cool that you hang out with us. Like, I like that you hang out with us. I always tell them that I want you to hang out, but, but, uh, you know, we, we kind of got like a close knit thing. I was like, oh, oh, okay. And that wound haunted me for the rest of my life. Just this statement of, yeah, you can hang out with us, but you're not one of us. And I can't tell you all of like the effort that I've put into in my life trying to feel included and trying to feel like I was in the inner circle. Trying to feel like um, I was one of the guys. And the constant suspicion that at some point they're going to all sit me down and tell me, you know, you can hang out with us, but you're not one of us. And uh, the kinds of behaviors that created in me, um, maybe like really suspicious and untrusting friendships. Um, maybe even like overextensions of trying to impress people and coming off a little braggy or a little arrogant because I wanted people to think I was cool or had good taste or was interesting or, you know, that I was worthy enough to be included in the group. Um, it's, it was an event that cascaded all the way through middle school, high school, college. And even as an adult, it's something that when I look at the a lot of the areas of my life where I feel the most lonely, there's always that haunting voice in my head that just says, you know, you're, you're here. They're hanging out with you. But, uh, like, they don't love you. They don't, um, you're not one of them. And, uh, being able to hold, being able to hold that pain and that discouragement, that childhood wound in hand without criticizing it, 
without saying um, with eyes you're silly for thinking that way like you know or um, there's worlds of criticism that comes in when you try to hold that wound in hand and try to hold that dream the dream of feeling included the dream of feeling like you belong the dream of feeling like uh, you're essential and that you matter but it's when we can hold not just the dream but also the pain too that we can look at kind of what we're doing look at uh, the, our surroundings look at our friendships and be able to act in a way that brings about flourishing and that doesn't recreate the rejection or the um, loneliness or you know the thing that you've been avoiding because we do you know it's, it's most obvious maybe in cases of like a extreme OCD where someone's maybe germophobic and so they wash their hands 50 times a day and and then the the skin on their knuckles will begin to crack and and then the cracks you know start to bleed and they get infected and and it's like the thing you were doing to try to run away from the germs is the thing that made you sick. And for me, it was the things I was doing to try to feel included, to try to earn people's love, were the things that were causing people to be a little wary of me. Um, the things you're doing in your job, you know, that, that dynamic can, can be applied to all sorts of contexts. So I hope uh, that was helpful. I hope that was thought-provoking. The idea of being able to hold the childhood wound in hand without criticizing it or trying to change it. The ability of holding that dream and that wish without disqualifying it and trying to understand where is that rooted? Where is that dream rooted? How am I responding in light of those wounds in the present day? And maybe if I can hold both of those things in hand without trying to change them, there's some insights there that will press me farther into the things that matter to me and creating a world where there's flourishing not just for myself but other people around me. So that's my Friday reflection.